From VT Digger, I'm Mike Doherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, tens of thousands of Vermonters have lined up to receive food assistance during the COVID-19 pandemic. But those on the front lines of hunger relief say that feeding the massive number of people in need is going to require more than just meal giveaways. Last Friday, the Vermont Food Bank and the Vermont National Guard took over the state airport in Berlin to hand out food. Hey, let's toss these pallets. I'll push this forward. Guard members moved pallets of milk crates and produce boxes around the tarmac. Drivers pulled up with their trunks open. Soldiers loaded them up with about 50 pounds of food apiece and then sent them away. You guys are all set, okay? Follow up that way. This was the first distribution event where families received fresh food instead of the military-style Meals Ready to Eat, or MREs. Jason Maring from the Vermont Food Bank said this was part of a new federal program to connect local producers and distributors with people in need. We've transitioned from MREs to more of a non-perishable food box, which is provided by FEMA, and then the USDA has provided the uh, fresh food boxes. Got it. There were boxes of Cabot cheese and vegetables from Black River Produce. But the most striking aspect of the event was the lines. About 2,000 cars showed up to the site. They lined two runways, doubling back multiple times, and then stretched for miles along the road leading to the entrance. People waited for hours. Do you have any idea how long the wait is once you get in here? Thank you. No, I've been waiting for about an hour just on this road. Yeah. I may just, you know, cut out a line at some point. Yeah. The fresh food ran out midway through the event, and about four hours in, they closed the site. Hundreds of people went home empty-handed. One of them was Rebecca Vickery. Hello? Hi, is this Rebecca? This is Rebecca. Who is this? Hi, Rebecca. My name is Elizabeth Gribkoff. A reporter, Elizabeth Gribkoff, caught up with her after the event. So Rebecca Vickery, um, she's a mother who lives in Essex. She has six kids in her care, including two foster children. And Rebecca has her own voiceover business. Um, she also previously had worked as a worship director, but was laid off prior to the pandemic, but not too long ago. My impression was that Rebecca, probably like a lot of other Vermonters, I guess has a lot of different strategies that she'll use to ensure that her family's adequately fed. I mean, of course, that includes going to the grocery store, but she was saying something that's been challenging lately is that prices of food have started to go up in stores, especially on items like meat. There's also just things aren't always available. And she was saying, you know, typically I like to try to shop sales, but at at this point it's kind of like you have to take what you can get. It's harder to find some things like in the store that you would normally be able to find affordably. Um, Like like Costco, for example, has um, limits on the amount of food that you can purchase. And, like, right now, um, I have six children in my care. Two of them are foster children. And so we're a family of eight, and you tell us that we can buy the same amount of food as a family of two, and it doesn't make sense. So she's been, you know, supplementing that with going to, like, different food pantry things, or there's now some free meal programs. Like Mark's um, Barbecue in um, Essex, Vermont, and... uh, Skitty Pancake does, they call them shift meals, and they do Tuesdays and Fridays. And so I was picking up meals for some people from both of those. She had been one of the many people who were waiting to get food at the uh, 
Berlin airport. And like a lot of other people, she ended up leaving empty handed. The event closed like an hour and a half, you know, earlier. And so they kept on telling us there was nothing left, but then obviously there was because people were still waiting in the line. So it's like, I don't want to go until there's like officially, no, you're done because we were picking up food for three other families as well. You know, she said she was like, oh, it was a nice day. I didn't mind waiting, but obviously leaving without any food, especially having driven from Essex over to Berlin. I think that was definitely a frustrating experience. I mean, it took a lot of time to get there. And yeah, I think to have like waited to, you know, be trying to get food was hard. It was a beautiful day and we were surrounded by by people. It it kind of felt like normal-ish, except for the scope of it was like the most breathtakingly, um, I don't know, it was, I am a word person and I, I don't even have the words because yeah. like we, looking at the lo- the line of people coming from both directions, I have never seen a line like that in my entire life for anything and it was, it was just breathtaking because it yeah. was like, there's, there are so many people here and they wouldn't be waiting in a line like this if they did not feel such desperation to feed their families, you know? Mm-hmm. I was there on Friday. I saw the lines. I saw people waiting in their cars. And we've been seeing scenes like this both around Vermont at other meal distributions and around the country. And it's feeling like this very powerful symbol, all these people lined up for food. Do we have a sense of how severe the problem actually is? We do and we don't, I guess, if that makes sense. I mean, Vermont Food Bank told me that they've seen, during April, they served 83% more food than, you know, they do in a normal month. So that's like an incredibly drastic amount. Um, And I spoke with this researcher at UVM, Dr. Meredith Niles. She and some other researchers had completed a survey kind of closer toward the beginning of the pandemic, like end of March, early April about food insecurity in Vermont. And they found that there's a, from that survey, there's about a third more Vermonters experiencing food insecurity right now. So there is a a high level of percentage of people who are like consistently food insecure. So they were food insecure Mm -hmm. uh, prior to COVID and stayed food insecure but there is a, a sizable, you know, about a third of those people are newly food insecure, meaning they, they were not food insecure in the year prior to COVID, but they are since the COVID outbreak. And that is um, significantly associated with job disruption and job loss. She also did point out they're doing some follow-up work on that because she pointed out that, you know, that would have been before a lot of people maybe would have gotten unemployment benefits and things like that. So they're kind of curious to what extent did you know, receiving those benefits um, impact food security. Of course, we've also reported on how for many, you know, there's some people who still haven't gotten those benefits. So that's just something they're trying to get a better understanding of what are the levels of food insecurity, you know, right now in Vermont. What do we do about that? Like when you talk to advocates and people who work in hunger relief, what do they think is the best way forward here? Yeah, so I spoke with Anora Horton, who's the executive director of Hunger Free Vermont. And something she was, you know, stressing was that efforts like that mass food distribution event in Berlin, you know, that's not really a, a long term or sort of more sustainable way to address this problem. Um, and of course, also, you know, we got 
tons of emails from readers who said they weren't able to get food at that. So it certainly addressed acute needs for some people, but also clearly there were other people for whom it didn't. So look, we have we have a structural problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? We have a this is this is a this is a, a long standing problem that right. the coronavirus is throwing into sharper relief. But we're never going to meet the unmet need by throwing more and more food box distributions at it. Right? I mean, that's not a long-term solution. It's not a sustainable solution. It's an incredibly inefficient, undignified, and expensive approach. That was federally funded, and she was saying a much better way to address this would be to have, you know, say an increase in SNAP benefits um, so that people can go out and buy their own food instead of having to sort of drive and wait hours and hours to maybe get, you know, a box of food. This program is a travesty. USDA and and our federal government and our, our federal administration chose to create a brand new billions of dollars program that requires private food distribution companies to build boxes of food with specific items and then get those boxes into people's hands through this complicated distribution system that in Vermont involves us also paying the Vermont National Guard to do that and then asks people who need food resources to go get in line in their cars and sit for four or five hours waiting to get food. I mean, it's insane. It's an insane way to take care of one of of people's most basic human needs that we all have. When we could have just put that money into the the, the SNAP program and mm-hmm. expanded who can access benefits and people could have gotten a card and gone to their local grocery store and picked out their items whenever it was convenient for them to do so. <laughs> I know there have also been these programs to distribute more meals through schools. What role does that play in this conversation? I Yeah, I think the school meal distribution plays a really important role because, you know, families with children are actually, and this is before the pandemic, are more likely to be food insecure. And of course, for a lot of families, Meredith Niles from UVM was saying that they found that people are already starting to cut back on how much they're eating to, you know, ensure that their families are fed. So obviously, if people can, you know, make sure that their kids at least have breakfast and lunch every day, I mean, that's a huge, huge help. And that's something, I mean, there's been free meals in schools programs before this, but they were only available to you know students whose families make at or below a certain income level, whereas now there's federal funding to have those available for any kids and teenagers 18 and under. So they don't even have to be you know enrolled in a school, which advocates you know think is a good thing. One kind of area of I guess concern is that like Anora Horton from Hung Free Vermont was saying that there's been areas where you know school districts that have busing, so they're able to actually bus those meals out to families are seeing kind of a greater uptick in in families getting those free meals as opposed to districts where, you know, the parents or someone kind of has to go and pick up the meals during the day. So that program has no funding in it, no extra money in it for transportation. So that's always a limit. It's always been a limit on how many kids we can reach with summer meals in Vermont. Mm -hmm. Because in a lot of places in Vermont, 
in a normal summer, you either need to get the food to the kids or the kids to the food. But somehow you've got to transport one or the other. Right. <laughs> and there's no money for that, right? So the school buses stop running at the end of the school year in the places that even have buses. And then there's no, there's no transportation funding. So that can't happen this summer or we're going to have a really serious crisis of, of child and family hunger in our state. I mean, the fact that the school meal programs are operating right now and serving thousands and thousands and thousands of meals every day is why we're not having daily long lines outside of our food shelves in our towns. So they're hoping that over the summer, they want to make sure that there's continued funding from the state to keep busing meals to kids. Because so she was saying, which I thought was fitting, you know, you have, you have to either get the kids to the meals or the meals to the kids. And that's otherwise, you know, it doesn't work. And normally before, obviously, the pandemic, kids would be in school and they'd be getting the meals there. So that's kind of I think the transportation aspect of that and the distribution of it's a really important part to make that program you know, as successful as it could be. This week, you went up to Burlington to see how the school meal distribution worked. What did you see? So I got to Burlington High School at 7 a.m., had some flashbacks of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> arriving arriving in high school, except there's almost no one there, obviously, so it was a little different. But, um, yeah, I went in and met with Pat Teague, who's the executive chef at the Burlington Food Project, which provides meals for kids at the 14 schools in Burlington. This, this year, you're going to see a ton of food start to just, like, pile up on all these carts. It was interesting to see how it was working because they're not doing, I would sort of picture in the past, you know, big, I don't know, vats of chili or like maybe heating up hamburger or something like that going on at a school meals prep program. But this instead was, there was still a lot of fresh food, like they were cutting up cucumbers in one room, but a lot of it in the morning, they take, you know, lunches and breakfasts that have been kind of bagged for the previous days and make sure they're and are in, you know, put them in boxes and then load them onto vans that go out in the morning for distribution at sites around Burlington. So you make your own chicken salad, you got a bun, okay. After that, they kind of actually go back and we'll be, you know, boxing up um, sandwiches and apples and all these lunches and breakfasts. And it's just, that was something that Pat kept saying was there's just so many numbers and, <laughs> you know, it's so much planning. And because they're, now they're doing everything like a takeout and it has to be packaged in a certain way. And that's kind of a very different, very different than what they were doing beforehand. Uh, Wednesdays is the big day, 2000, Thursday another 500. One thing that's been a big change is that yeah, now I think there's like 45 staff members used to, of course, be spread out at schools around Burlington. And now they have like shifts of 10 that will come in for two week intervals and they're way more spread out. They're all now in, in one high school. Um, it seems like they've got at this point got the system worked out pretty well. But I mean, I definitely think, yeah, from what Pat kept saying, like, oh, there's lots of numbers and these, you know, huge spreadsheets and everything. It's, <laughs> it's pretty intense. It seems like there's a really obvious need here. I'm wondering what we've heard so far from state government about what they're doing to address it. Well, they've definitely been like the agency of education, you know, certainly has been coordinating the school meal efforts, which of course play a big role in this. But, you know, actually advocates are saying that 
they think that the state needs to step up and do more to be addressing food security right now. You know, like Governor Charlie Baker of Massachusetts actually recently came out with this over $50 million food security proposal from the state. So they just feel like this hasn't been perhaps as as front burner in the state's crisis response as it should be. You know, at a press conference this week, VT Digger asked Governor Scott, you know, about this. And he did ex- certainly express concerns about long lines at places like that Berlin mass distribution drop off and said this was something they're kind of looking into more, but didn't re- didn't really provide a lot of specifics. Yeah, this is a, a great concern to me. Obviously, what we saw last week at one of the uh, points uh, where they were um, had long lines at uh, some of the food centers. Um, and I've asked Secretary Smith uh, to take a look at the Meals on Wheels program uh, to see how much new activity is there, uh, as well as with the Vermont Food Bank, uh, so that we can do a, an assessment of, of the need, uh, as well as what we can do in the future to provide for those in need uh, and to encourage those who uh, may be in need but, uh, but haven't utilized the services to reach out to us uh, so that we can help. The state does have this, it's called a, actually called a mass feeding program, and it's something that they're submitting to FEMA. And a lot of it has to do with kind of, I guess, supporting or ramping up existing efforts, you know, like supporting the food bank's sort of increased work and, um, you know, making sure those the free school meals program continues. And I guess, I guess sort of coordinating a little bit more of a statewide response to this. So organizations like the food bank, you know, which of course has, yeah, has drastically increased the amount of food it's distributing. You know, they're saying we're not really meant to be all of a sudden serving (laughs) this much more food. You know, we don't necessarily have the capacity or the means to be doing this long term. That's not exactly our role. Right. They see these food distribution events as kind of an emergency solution. What happens next? Like as we look towards a potentially lengthy economic downturn, What do advocates see happening six months from now, a year from now? Yeah, well, something that really, I think, stuck with me was when I was talking with Meredith Niles from UVM was that she was saying that, you know, food insecurity levels, not surprisingly, had gone up, of course, in around, you know, 2008 during the Great Recession, but that they stayed elevated for years after that, which kind of makes sense if you think about, you know, the long term economic recovery. But that's something that I think I hadn't maybe appreciated the extent to which, you know, this could be going on for years. It's not just maybe not just an acute problem. Um, so kind of given that Nora Horton from Hunger Free Vermont was saying that food is something if, you know, families are on a really tight budget, and especially if they see a sudden significant decline in that budget from someone becoming unemployed or, you know, who knows, that's something where people may start, you know, cut, literally cutting back on what they're eating to kind of ensure that they're paying fixed costs like rent and other bills. And so kind of because of that, Organizations like Hunger Free Vermont see really addressing hunger as addressing broader um, economic inequalities. So they actually see things like raising the minimum wage and providing access to universal health care, which would ideally put more money in people's pockets and reduce costs for things like health care. That that would have a direct impact on then you know providing people with more money to be able to buy food. Thanks, Elizabeth. Yeah, thanks, Mike. You can find Elizabeth's full report on hunger relief during the pandemic this Sunday at vtdigger.org. 
and find all of our COVID-19 coverage in one place at vtdigger.org slash coronavirus. You're listening to The Deeper Dig, a weekly podcast from the VT Digger newsroom. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. We use music this week by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Tigger Newsroom. Have a nice weekend. <laughs>